on a specific point there, it, it is probably not very well known that loneliness amongst the healthcare workforce itself is also a big problem. There's lots of data out there showing that rates of loneliness amongst doctors, nurses, psychologists and so forth are really high. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Deneef, and today we're having a special look at a pressing issue within aged care, loneliness. And to help us unpack the issue, we're joined by Professors Joanna Badcock and John Polares, both representing Ending Loneliness Together. In this conversation, we look at just how big a problem loneliness is, how it affects not just care recipients, but also care workers, and some potential technologies that could reduce the impacts of loneliness. This episode was a really fascinating one for me, and it was great to hear both a clinical and business perspective on what's often a forgotten topic. So here is our loneliness special with Joanna Badcock and John Polares. John and Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, this is going to be kind of a a loneliness special. We're we're really diving into the issue of loneliness here. So before we, we really tackle the issue head on, can we get a bit of your background? Joanna, maybe starting with you. You have a psychology background, right? Yes, I I trained originally as a a clinician, a clinical psychologist, but then quickly got captivated by the research world. And so I've spent my career for the last 25 years or so as a clinician researcher. Um, Most of my early work was in the field of psychosis, actually, which seems far removed from what we're talking about today though sadly is much closer than you think because it turns out that people with psychotic disorders have very high rates of loneliness in their lives and they often say that loneliness is one of the most challenging things that they face in their day-to-day world. And that's really what got me into the space of an interest about loneliness and how it impacts on people. Well, that's fantastic and and not a stat that I would have known there that psychosis is so well linked. Yeah, in the case of people with psychotic disorders, they're experiencing loneliness at about twice the rate of people in the general community. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's not just an issue in the general community, but also in in more specialised communities as well. In certain groups, yeah, definitely much higher rates. Yeah, wow. And since then, um, actually through more family experience, has got my interest in loneliness as well because I have a family member with dementia. Mm-hmm. and um, a, a carer involved in that as well. And the experience of loneliness for them, especially through COVID, has been particularly prominent and very salient for me. So Absolutely. But an interest personally as well. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's great that these things have brought you here and, and that you have a personal passion. And mm. John, do you have a, a similar story? I know you're not coming from a research background, but how did you get involved with loneliness? Look, my background was that I was a um, computer engineer and consumer products CEO for many, many years. And when I retired, I decided I wanted to 
um, set up my own business in an area that dealt with the issues of independence. So I've, in the last few years, built the largest assistive technology company in Australia called Leaf Independent Living Solutions, which um, essentially provides technology and product solutions to functional and cognitive decline uh, in the elderly, supporting those living uh, with disability, dementia and those undergoing rehabilitation. Uh, And it all came about because I had two parents who passed away through the system. My wife also did, and in, in both cases they were um, subject to, you know, medic- medication mismanagement, you know, excessive acute transfers to hospital and misdiagnosis of dementia. And then I had, uh, I, or I have, a disabled sister and a more disabled nephew that I've been the guardian for for about 20 years. So one way or another I've been in this area and um, the consequence of that is I really saw the impact that loneliness was having and decided I want to do something about it. And that's how I became involved with uh, ending loneliness together. Yeah, fantastic. And that's a really great segue. You are both here representing Ending Loneliness Together. Can one of you give me sort of a, an overview as to what the organisation does? Oh, well, perhaps I, I might step in there. So we've been working as a, a group of community organisations and interested parties and um, researchers and academics for probably four or five years, actually, on an informal basis, trying to get this group together together. And we were formally launched just late last year. Um, We're now also a registered charity um, in this space. And we came together partly because we really felt very strongly that the issue of loneliness wasn't wasn't really part of the everyday vocabulary of of what people were talking about in society as as an important issue. Mm. So we put together some key goals and the first of that was simply to raise awareness and inspire action around the problem of loneliness in Australia today. Other countries have done the same sort of thing. So in the UK, for example, quite a long time ago now, they they set up the UK campaign to end loneliness. Mm -hmm. And similarly, there are other countries around the world that are, that are following suit and really putting this on the, the national agenda, if you like. Um, Another big issue that we really felt was important to address is that we want to be able to develop really good evidence base for measuring loneliness and for evaluating the best solutions. Because at the moment, there's quite a lot of approaches being trialled, but they're very rarely actually being evaluated. So we don't always know what works and what works for whom and in the right place and at the right time. And that's really just a measure of developing the the resources and tools for community organisations and health providers to be able to do that a bit more effectively. We also felt it was really important to bring all the relevant stakeholders together as well. So we're really forming a network that we can share our expertise and use a common language, if you like. So there's some of the goals that we have in mind. Yeah, it's great bringing together a lot of different people under the same banner for a same goal here. And I know that in residential aged care, for example, loneliness is is a really big issue. Half of everybody living in a residential aged care will experience loneliness at some point. But John, perhaps you can give us a scope of how big is this issue in terms of society as a whole? Oh, it's an enormous issue, Ash. I mean, the thing that really struck me is early on in our research, when we were looking at the order of functional decline and cognitive decline, we noted that loneliness came up as probably the 
principal starting point for many mental health and physical health issues. And in particular for, you know, the case of healthy women, perceived loneliness was a major factor that differentiated, uh, if you like, good ageing from suboptimal ageing. And in men, it was depression, which had a root cause of not feeling connected, um, not feeling a sense of purpose, and many of the same kind of attributes. We see through many of residential care, and we should not forget people who are ageing in place at home, uh, not getting visitors, and so high levels of apathy. If they've got continence issues, they may not feel confident to go out, um, and that just creates an, a, a greater issue. So it's very widespread, but what really struck me was then um, to watch the impact that it was having on those living with disability who were experiencing some of the same sense of isolation. And then, of course, COVID highlighted the, the very same issue for many young people stuck at home where their bosses are quite happy now sitting in their home offices, which are nice and comfortable, with most of their employees sitting in a small bedroom, you know, living their life in, um, in, in a very small space and not being conscious of the need to keep people involved. And so we started to see some issues there. But the most telling thing for me is that when you look across all the age groups, there may be a peak in that kind of 25 to 30. There may be a peak in that, you know, 65 to 75. But it's a very high level, almost 40% across all age groups, which says that loneliness is an it's an endemic issue in the community that needs to be addressed. Now, my interest is not as you know, as scientifically founded as Joe, and so I'm delighted to have Joe on the call today. <laughs> but bottom line is, if you've got that level of disconnection in the community, then we have to fundamentally rethink our approaches to social equity and inclusion in our you know, infrastructure design, in the development of social policy, in our health response. And given that it's a causal issue, i.e. if you can deal with this, it's like Skittles, this is the front skittle. You knock this one down, you get 10 knocked down. If you can deal with this skittle, then we can make a massive difference to the community. So, you know, when I found um, Joe and the rest of the team working on this, I couldn't help but say, I'm in. I need to be part of helping to be find a solution to this. That's great. And is it, it's my perception that loneliness is an increasingly, it's, it's a growing issue and not just because of the pandemic, right? Joe, maybe you can shed some light on this. Is it that we're more aware of loneliness or is it that people are experiencing more loneliness? Well, look, what you're raising is a really important but complex point is, is it the case that rates of loneliness are increasing? And actually the evidence on that, at least up until March last year, <laughs> was really mixed. There's a fairly large study that was done by Louise Hawkley in the US and what they did was have a look at rates of loneliness in the baby boomer generation mm -hmm. and compared that to similar older adults who were born from uh, 1920 to 1947. So if you compare the rates of loneliness in those two different age cohorts, there's not really strong evidence at all that rates of loneliness are increasing over time. Mm. That said, there is some local data within Australia that does seem to show that for younger adults, there may be more younger adults reporting an increase in loneliness over time, that is from about 2013 onwards. So the question overall about whether loneliness is, is increasing 
yeah, there's, there's really not strong evidence as yet. What we do know, though, is since the onset of the pandemic, uh, from data that we've collected here in Australia, we know that um, it is getting to be significantly more likely that all age groups are reporting feeling lonely. Mm. Um, so I think the data locally says that, in fact, around one in two are now saying that they feel more lonely than they once did. Wow. And perhaps another factor that would contribute to affecting the data is more of a willingness to speak up about mental health issues. And Yes, look, I really think that is, in a weird way, one of the benefits, few that there are of the COVID pandemic, is that it has somehow given people a greater sense that they can talk about this issue because we do know that there is a stigma often attached to loneliness and that plays out by way of making people reluctant to speak up about it for fear of how other people are going to respond. So it's it's sort of been forced upon us in our lap because of the pandemic, but, but the positive spin from that is, yeah, people are a little bit more willing to say, you know what, this has really sucked <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm really feeling lonely and I really need to find a way to manage this and I need help. Yeah. Ash, if I could add to that, if I come from the perspective of, you know, years of experience in consumer marketing, the thing that I found very interesting about loneliness is that it's a much easier way into the conversation around people's overall state of well-being than many other ways in. Mm. And although we're starting to have the conversation, to ask somebody if they know whether somebody's lonely invites the question to understand it, explore it, and, and people will come to the discussion. If you try to have a conversation around a mental health or, or other physical issues, people are reluctant. And we found that, that often people will say something about themselves that they feel is more appealing to the person listening, whereas loneliness does enable you to get into a very real conversation. And so that's what, one of the things that I think needs to re- be remembered as we start to think about this more as a causal issue is that it's actually with a little bit of work and backed up by the great quality of research that that Joe and the team in Ending Loneliness Together are doing, we should be able to really open up a number of very productive discussions um, with the community around how to think about this and how to respond to support. I'd probably also add to that that when you start those conversations, what's really important and and interesting in a sense is just how diverse everyone's experience of loneliness is. So for some people, the kind of connections that they're missing are with a, a particularly close friend, for example, that they're no longer able to get in contact with or see face to face. For other people, however, it's missing their work colleagues. Mm. Or it's just missing, you know, the the person in the local shop that they normally see on a regular basis and just have a bit of a chin wag with, or or the person that they see on their daily walk, you know, having a walking the dog at the park or that could. So everyone's experience and the kind of connections that they feel that they are missing that makes them feel lonely is really different. And it's really important to recognise that because a lot of people just think, oh, you're only lonely if you're missing your sort of your close support network. Mm. But actually it's much, much um, more than that. It, it goes really way beyond that simple core support group. Yeah. 
And I'd really like to to focus here on the antidote to loneliness or some potential antidotes because I'm sure most people listening, myself, I've definitely been surrounded by a lot of people before in a very social environment or a social lifestyle and felt very lonely. How do we address loneliness? Is it just more connections? Well, that that's a, a common first step and it's probably not an unreasonable step because we do know that being objectively socially isolated, having few contacts is one of the key drivers of loneliness. Mm -hmm. But that said, we also know that just fixing the number of social connections that you have doesn't always make you feel less lonely because, of course, it's to do with the quality of the relationship that you're having. What we do know is that when people are lonely, it can set off a kind of downward negative spiral, if you like. It changes your thoughts and your your feelings and your behaviour so that you feel a, a bit more negative about yourself and the world around you. And certainly you tend to interpret situations more negatively as well. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you interpret a situation like, say, um, someone's called you up on the on the or you call someone on the phone, I should say, and they don't reply. If your instant interpretation is, oh, I'm being dissed or rebuffed or, you know, ignored, then you're likely to respond in an irritated way Mm. when you do next contact them. And clearly that's going to set off not a terribly good interaction cycle. Um, And so helping to address loneliness can therefore involve helping people to be a little bit more aware and mindful of that kind of negative thought, belief, action cycle and how to intervene and change how you interpret the situation. Maybe the person that you called was just busy. Maybe they were driving. Maybe they were doing any other activity that meant that they couldn't get back to you. Change your thinking about it that way, then you might respond a little bit more um, positively next time you talk to them and help to maintain the quality of that relationship. Mm. It's interesting, Ash, if I can add to that also, is that a few weeks ago, we put out a post that said, you know, should we have a minister for loneliness in Australia? Mm. And I, I was, it was remarkable the number of people who responded to the post saying, well, no, it should be a minister of social connectivity. And Joe makes the, the, like a very interesting point there that you can be in a group and be very lonely. Mm-hmm. And so part of the anecdote is one, helping people to understand where they are and be able to take steps for themselves, but also to help others understand, to take the time check in, really be there for people. That doesn't mean occupy the airspace, but it means be there and listen to provide support. We used to look at, when we were doing a lot of consumer work um, around social networking, we actually realised that it was about social not working, (laughs) you know, that you have to find a way of blending this online world now with, with more physical contact, which is really important as we come out of this pandemic that the workplaces recognise that they've got to bring people together and create those kind of linkages and, you know, um, blend it, whether it be in the university, whether it be in school, whether it be um, and uh, in the workplace and particularly for young people entering into work. I do remember a number of years ago, though, there, that we used to kind of talk about people who worked under pressure and I heard about a, a concept called the astronaut syndrome and the notion was that, you know, three months in space their immune system starts to break down and, you know, comes on a sliding line over three months. 
And the solution, they found this in research, I believe, in Antarctica, and, and, and I can certainly believe it to be true in my own work experience, is that it, if you can take a week off at the end of those three months, um, not sit on a beach, not isolate yourself, but be connected in the community um, with family, with friends, then, mm. then you've got to bounce back. And, and I think that we've got to remember that over this last year, people have been isolated and under pressure, whether it be through the barrage of news that we've had through that period of time on COVID or the negativity coming out of the whole Trump re-election or the, you know, it was just, mm. or the way that the politicians federally been attacking the states. There's been a, an environment of negativity, starting with the bushfires and moving all the way through. So that kind of constant pressure, that astronaut syndrome is sort of happening. And, and we've got to take a bit of time now and recognise it and put in a bit of effort. And I think, you know, make sure that we do check in, that we listen to people. Um, but it does mean being prepared to slow things down a little bit and, um, and then make sure that we get people back on the right footing. This episode is sponsored by NNT. NNT understands that a uniform is more than just the clothes you wear. They're committed to providing distinctive uniforms that empower healthcare professionals to perform at their best. Having dressed healthcare workers since 1962, they continue to evolve and innovate their designs and fabrics. NNT balances functionality with style and comfort to produce high-performing uniforms to help support you every day. NNT is part of Workwear Group, a West Farmers company, and they're offering listeners of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast an exclusive discount of 10% off site-wide using the promo code NNT10. That's double NT10 for 10% off site-wide at nnt.com.au. Offer ends 30th of June, 2021. Terms and conditions apply. Both of you there have spoken to the need for awareness, whether that's awareness in one's own behavior or in the behavior around you or even in the environment in which you're in. That is not always a skill that comes easily to some people. Are there some tips and tricks that you guys have, or Joe, maybe you've researched that can can help people kind of develop this skill? Uh, look, there's not uh, research that I've done myself, um, though I know there's, there's other research out there just trying to focus where your attention is going mm. is is a good port of call um, because, as I was saying before, we know that when you, you're lonely, you tend to interpret things more negatively than perhaps needs be. And the first step to being aware of that is to actually monitor where your attention is being drawn. And if you can do that, even down to perhaps even keeping a little diary of how you felt during the day and what your attention has been drawn to, you'll start to see patterns that, oh, I focused a lot on something really negative on the news and mm. I really focused on um, how critical a certain person was when, when they were talking to me and, and so on. And so you'll see that your attention is actually being taken up by negative things around you and that's the first step to be able to manage the change so that you can then say, okay, I'm now going to specifically shift my attention to other either neutral or even positive things so that, you know, you're not dominated by that negative mindset. I had a very simple tool to do exactly what Joe was saying through some tough times uh, in my own life, and that was I would text myself every day 
out of, of one to 10. Mm. And if 10 meant that I was very good with myself, I was clear, and anything less than 10, I, you know, I would send, send the text. And really what I needed to do then is say, right, what's missing? What have I got to do to get myself to a 10 today? And it really is, as, as Joe puts it very clearly, is taking the time to think about how you're thinking and put some immediate action steps in place. So it doesn't have to be rocket science. It doesn't have to be huge yeah. interventions. It's just bringing, creating that little bit of space for you to think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really great idea and, and uh, a great way to train yourself to be checking in and, and always making a, an effort to, to stay on top of that. But those are two sorts of tools you've mentioned there, journaling and, and texting in one situation. I know some research has linked technology such as virtual reality or other communication devices to reducing loneliness and isolation. Are there any things that you guys are seeing that, that seem to be promising ideas in the space? I haven't been um, keeping an eye on that space, but I think it probably brings me back to a comment John made a little while ago. I think there's probably a lot of positive scope for using virtual reality technologies to help people connect but I think you need to have a blend of that kind of a connection with face-to-face, in-person connection mm-hmm. to get the most benefit. I, I agree with that. I think we've had a fair bit of experience with uh, virtual reality or augmented reality and serious gaming for people with uh, different conditions. So we've worked with virtual reality as well and have found that it is the kind of stimulus and connection. But the thing that's been most magic is when people share their experience with others, having Mm. had that experience. And so I think that we've got a long way to go to have the adoption across Australia of some of the, you know, assistive technologies that can provide the support. But as Joe says, it's part of a, it's got to be part of an overall approach, not an end on it in itself. And so, no, I think, I think it's a huge area and it's a huge area for potential research as well um, Absolutely. to just see how we can optimise and really get the most effectiveness from it. Um, mm. But you just got to look at the smiles on people's faces when they use it to know that it's adding something. Mm. There's likely to be some really novel applications too. So, for example, if you can encourage intergenerational contact mm. through using augmented or virtual reality systems, you get the double benefit, right? Yeah. <laughs> because you've also got that shared social experience across the generations, so maybe between grandparents and grandchildren, and the adoption of, of the uh, the novel technologies. So, yeah, a, lo- a lot of uh, scope for research and formal evaluation to see, again, what works because sometimes also in this area your intuition makes you think, oh, yeah, that's going to work. Mm. but sometimes <laughs> the data don't always hold that up. So we just need to evaluate these things really well. Yeah, and I like what you're both saying there, that technology in of itself is not a solution. It's a tool that can be used. And, it's how it's and used. Perhaps, yeah, Absolutely. perhaps it's a gateway into further connections or different types of connections. So that's that's really exciting. I mean, one of the things that it's worth mentioning when Joe talks about research is, particularly for the listeners, is, Research nowadays is really informed by the co-design or living labs where you really are working with people in the research. Mm. And, and so it's, it's far more effective than what we might all have in our minds as academic research of the past. And it really is valuable process to go through to verify, um, you know, what, what the benefits are or, or 
even if you intuitively believe the benefits are there, to start to really work out how to optimise it and get even more benefit from it. Um, but those areas of co-design, co-development and, and living labs, I think, are amazing new approaches to research that add enormous value to the community. And ending loneliness together um, is really built off that notion of co-development, co-design. Definitely. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, that those can often lead directly to consumer products that are designed by the users themselves. So that can be a fantastic pairing there. Now, we've been talking a lot about uh, about loneliness as it relates to people in care or people who are, might be in a care facility, but also, as you mentioned, workers. And I imagine that there'd be a lot of lone workers within the aged care industry, whether they're nurses or care assistants, who'll be not having a whole lot of social interaction from day to day. Are there programs or support networks that can be put in place by employers to support lone workers? On a, on a specific point there, it, it is probably not very well known that loneliness amongst the healthcare workforce itself is also a big problem. I know I probably sound like a broken record, but, you know, I'm a scientist and data is king. So <laughs> there's lots of data out there showing that rates of loneliness amongst doctors, nurses, psychologists and so forth are really high. And as a response to that, one of the things that Ending Loneliness Together is doing slowly in the background, unfunded, <laughs> is we're trying to develop some resources to help the healthcare professionals. So normally they do engage, hopefully, in some self-care and there are self-care toolkits around, but none are particularly targeted directly at loneliness. And so mm. we're going to fill that gap and we are providing that resource in the background and we will be making that available on our website in the future. Great. You know, just a pitch there, and Joe, you opened that door beautifully. You know, for any listeners who think they can, you know, make a donation to Ending Loneliness Together or who want to partner with the organisation to advance the, 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 the research, then funding is sorely needed. This is an area that is new. It's high impact. It feeds into a lot of the service providers, whether that be the Beyond Blues, the Lifelines, the Headspace, they all benefit from understanding this and the kind of um, interventions that are going to make a difference. And so if you are in a position to contribute, it's much appreciated. Absolutely. Fantastic. And something that might tack on nicely to the pitch there is trying to envisage what does the what does the world and what does society look like when loneliness isn't the issue that it is today? What's the vision here, Joe? Can you paint us a picture? <laughs> well, um, we set ourselves for ELT a fairly ambitious target of trying to reduce loneliness in half by 2030. Mm -hmm. I should probably clarify that in that really what we're talking about here is ending chronic problematic mm. loneliness because we all have to recognise that loneliness is just part of being human, right? It occurs and it's a normal signal that we need to attend to our social connections and um, you know, rebuild some of our, our social um, groups and connections. And so it's important that we don't medicalize or pathologize or overly pathologize loneliness itself because it, it really is a normal human experience. I think what we're really aiming for at Ending Loneliness Together is that we have a community that has a stronger set of skills to help them tackle those brief periods of loneliness so that they can 
they can address it and manage it themselves or they can address it and manage it in someone that they know and love. And so if we can equip people with those skills, that would be perfect. I think also, you know, if I, if I look at the, the end age extremes, you know, we would be surfacing significant societal issues much, much sooner because people mm. would be talking about things and we'd be addressing them. You know, I think that's where I'm fascinated as Joe and the team do more research to start to get real clarity on what those underlying themes are and starting to, to really surface them. I think as you then start to look in the ageing process um, for people living with disability, it's a much improved level of independence um, and quality of life and, and sense of self-determination, which are all going to be very critical in an underfunded medical system <laughs> that we get to that because it will make a fundamental difference, if you like, you know, that first skittle being... Uh, knocked down. So, you know, I think Joe's absolutely right to say it's a normal human emotion. In some ways, part of our strengthening and our journey through life, you know, requires us to experience these things to become fuller and more rounded human beings. But when it gets that chronic level, um, that's the opportunity to change. And that's the bit that creates the very, very adverse impacts in the community. And, and I think we will surface those issues and we'll address those and the quality of ageing and living with disability will be much improved. Fantastic. Joe and John, thank you so much for your time today. People can find out more at endingloneliness.com.au. Thanks again. Absolute pleasure. pleasure. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Age Care Enrichment Podcast, brought to you by Silver Adventures. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And if you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out how immersive virtual reality experiences can enrich the lives of older adults, visit the Silver Adventures website today at www.silver.com.au. See you next week.